Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And hopefully you have been fasting very, very strictly. Well, you don't have to fast that strictly. That's right. We're once again, we of course, we've entered into the Philip's Fast period, the penitential season of Advent in the Byzantine Catholic Church. It's called the season of the Philip's Fast, in which we fast from meat and dairy products, at least on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, of course, do other kind of penitential actions. We go to confession, make sure you're getting to confession. Or doing other works of charity, a little extra scripture reading, a little bit of quiet time. Notice what I'm saying here? None of these things have anything to do with indulging in things, partying, eating, cooking, baking, with all due respect to those things we do during the holiday. At the same time, this is a time actually to cut back, to actually step back, to divest, not to take on. Well, plenty of time to take on. You know, when the gifts arrive on Christmas and afterwards and all the goodies and all the visiting and all the celebration. That's the beauty of the church, especially the Eastern church. We go with a certain basic rhythm. It's a rhythm of life, which is woven into the rhythm of our liturgical calendar. So we have this sort of rising action. Think of it as like a bell curve. We have this sort of rising action that prepares you for the climactic moment. But the climactic moment, once we get there, we don't drop off a cliff like the way the secular world celebrates Christmas. You never notice that. On December 26th, you can't even hear a Christmas carol on the radio anymore. People are taking things back to the store. They say, oh, how was your Christmas? And I always say, oh, it's going very well. Because what I'm referring to is the post-festive, the other side of the bell curve. In other words, the downside as we sort of gradually move out of it. So we have this gentle sort of steadfast rising, a climactic moment of the feast itself, then what we call the post-festive. So this is actually a very natural rhythm of life. It's good for you as a human being. That's how our bodies work. That's how our physiology works, our mind, our heart. That's how the rhythm of nature works, kind of a bell curve. And that's how it works in the liturgical calendar of the Eastern churches, especially during these high holy days. So we're stepping back, divesting, cleaning house, fasting, and then we celebrate. And then we maintain the essence of that celebration, the message after the feast itself in the post-festive period. In other words, we sort of go forward, enriched and enlivened, inspired by the season, by the climactic moment and its buildup. 
Now, during this time, we also have a wonderful feast day. And I'm going to get to that in a second, because it, since it is still the time of, you know, of kindness, of charity, of gift, I want to offer our thanks for the gift of many of you who listen to us, the gift of your presence, just of your, of your ear, basically, <laughs> and your heart and your soul, especially certain people, such as Charles Cook from Saginaw, Michigan. We owe so much to Charles, and we really appreciate all of his prayerful support of us here at Light of the East. He was with us from the beginning. In fact, he's one of the ones that got us all started here at Light of the East years ago. And also other people like uh, William Radovich and also Sonia Cabazos out there in Orinda, California. And also someone I just met recently, Mike Mitchell from Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. Good to hear from you, Mike, and hopefully you're listening in. So again, we do a little shout out to all of you and a, and a thank you just for your, your presence, for letting us know that you're listening to us. You are a gift to us as hopefully we are a gift to you. So just want to acknowledge some of you out there, and especially our listeners out in the West Coast. We have lots of great avid listeners there. I want to thank all of you and all of you who are spending time in prison. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. So thank you to all of you for listening during this season of thanks, of gratitude. Now, as I mentioned, we have a wonderful feast day, and that feast day is the presentation, the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. This happens on November 21st. And this feast day is one of those preparatory moments in the Byzantine church, and it gives us a lot of insight into the soul of the Eastern church. Because this feast day is not explicitly in the scripture, it's a very ancient one, and it's one that actually comes from the, what they call the apocryphal works, particularly the Proto-Evangel, in other words, the Proto-Gospel of St. James. And according to the legend related there, Anna, Mary's mother, after an angel had informed her that she was at last to bear a child, vowed to offer this child to the Lord. Now, it's interesting. There's another Anna in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that did the same thing. Her name, of course, was Anna. She also was barren, just like Anna in the New Testament, could not have a child, prayed to have a child, and finally was gifted with a child. And the child, in fact, was a gift. That child in the Old Testament of the Anna of the Old Testament was, of course, the prophet Samuel. Now, it was a foreshadowing, of course, of this other Anne. Now, the Anne that would become the mother of the mother of God. So, at age three, the story goes, Mary was, accordingly, was brought by her parents to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. In other words, she was literally raised in the temple to herself become the temple of the Lord. And during this feast day, we have a one-day pre-festive and a few days, just about four days afterwards as a post-festive. And here's, again, the prayers for this feast day always gives us the insight into the meaning of the theology of it. As I mentioned, it comes from apocryphal sources. So, in other words, those are like secondary, sort of traditional legendary sources. They're not considered necessarily inspired, but they might have some amount of truth to them. But the main part about them, of any of these sources that are retained in the church, is the underlying meaning or message. In other words, the significance of these things, these events, from whatever source they're from, the significance of them to our lives and to the whole plan of salvation. You see, in the church, we base our faith, of course, on sacred tradition and also scripture. And anything else we do that's sort of in addition to that, any other source, is something that can never contradict tradition or scripture. It may not be explicitly in tradition or scripture, but it cannot contradict it. It may, in fact, embellish it or help to elucidate it. And so what happens is we look at a feast day or an event over time. We look at it and say, you know, this feast day, this observance has great antiquity to it. In other words, people have been observing this in the church, especially in the East, this particular feast day, the entrance of the mother of God into the temple. They've been observing this now for centuries, for a long, long time. So there must be something to it. You know, it's had staying power. So it must have some significance to it. 
The significance basically is this, and notice how it comes at a time of preparation for the coming of the Messiah. The significance lies actually, or is expressed beautifully, as always, in one of the liturgical texts of this feast day. This is the troparion for the feast. It says this, Today is the prelude of the benevolence of God and the herald of the salvation of mankind. For the virgin openly appears in the temple of God and foretells Christ to all. Let us all with full voice exclaim to her, Hail, fulfillment of the Creator's plan. Did you notice that? Today is the prelude of the benevolence of God. In other words, we're getting a hint at the coming of the Messiah through this feast day as the mother of God herself is prepared to receive Christ. So we sort of see in her the call to ourselves at this time of year to prepare ourselves. And where was she prepared? She was brought to the temple, a holy place, because she herself would become a holy, human, living, mystical temple. Same thing with us. And one of those ways that we become a holy, mystical temple ourselves, in a manner of speaking, is through asceticism, through purification, such as fasting, prayer, works of charity, and most especially, the sacrament of confession. We also say this during the feast day, Today let the heavens above greatly rejoice. Let the clouds pour down gladness at the mighty and marvelous acts of our God. For behold the gate that looks towards the east, born from a fruitless and barren womb according to the promise, and consecrated to God as his dwelling, is now being brought into the temple as a spotless offering. Let David greatly rejoice and play on his harp, saying, Virgins shall be brought to the king after her. Her companions shall be brought into the ark of the Lord to be nourished with the life of the incorruptible one who was begotten from eternity for the salvation of our souls. Now that prayer is always, that liturgical prayer, as always in the Eastern churches, is loaded with theology. It's like a theological expose, making lots of references to the scriptures, lots of references to what we call the types and archetypes of the scripture. Today the heavens greatly rejoice. Let the clouds pour down gladness and the mighty, marvelous acts of our God. For behold, the gate that looks towards the east. Now, you see, the gate that looks towards the east is mentioned in Scripture. That was one of the significant gates of the temple. It still is to this day in what remains of the ancient Jewish temple. And in Byzantine churches to this day, they're designed so that we face east. And there is a kind of a, like a doorway, a special doorway as we face east. And that is the royal doors, the gates of heaven on the icon screen through which no one can pass except the ordained ministers and only at certain holy moments and only when they are fully vested. So this also in the layout of the Byzantine church is a kind of a liturgical expression or realization of something that is very, very ancient. goes all the way back to the ancient Jewish temple. It is also a foreshadowing of the archetype, the mother of God. And all that is in the liturgical text. And we heard about King David rejoicing and playing in his heart because he was one of those that through the Psalms, we pick up in the Psalms and through the prophets, the Old Testament figures like David and Isaiah, they're the ones that prophesy the coming of the Virgin and from her, the Messiah. We're going to talk more about this wonderful preparatory time for the coming of the Messiah when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. To find out how you can obtain a copy of the Theosis CD, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. The Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, Theosis CD. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on The Theology of the Body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 10.30 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online at tinyurl.com forward slash TOB online. That's tinyurl.com forward slash TOB online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. Okay, we're back here on Light of the East. I want to thank you for listening. Again, I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And I also want to thank you for sending us letters, messages. We have one recently here from Jonathan, once again, out in California, San Diego. And this is what he says. I was listening to your podcast about evangelization in the Eastern churches, and I found your comment about the Eastern Catholics tending to keep their light under a bushel interesting and accurate, albeit sad. Recently, I noticed someone commenting on the November intentions of the Holy Father, the Pope of Rome, and the general intention for November is this, that the Eastern Catholic churches and their venerable traditions may be known and esteemed as a spiritual treasure for the whole church. I'm going to read that again. Again, this is a general intention by the Holy Father for the month of November, that the Eastern Catholic churches and their venerable traditions may be known and esteemed as a spiritual treasure for the whole church. So Jonathan continues in his letter to me, I've shared this with my pastor and spiritual father, and we agree that this may be one way to invite people at Latin Rite parishes to get to know us better and to come and see the good news as it is shared through our Eastern genius, letting them know that the Pope of Rome wants his faithful to know about our queenly beauty, quote-unquote, may be one way to encourage their knowledge of us. I'd appreciate you commenting on this, Father. In Christ, Jonathan. 
No, thank you, Jonathan. Not only will I comment on it, I also read your letter on the air so that everyone can hear it as well, because I'm sure others share your thoughts as well. And I want to thank you for that letter. I'm proud to say that the Pope of Rome has dedicated his prayer intentions this month of November for the Eastern churches. And hopefully you will all join in with him. Because as Jonathan is saying here, the Latin Rite Church does need to know more about the Eastern churches. And this was said by Pope John Paul II in his apostolic document called Oriental Lumen, which means Light of the East. Did you recognize that? Yep, that's where we get our name from, the name of this program, from that document, Oriental Lumen. And in that document, Pope John Paul II said, remember, this is an apostolic document. It's not exactly scribbling on a napkin. He encourages, basically in a sense, mandates, invites Roman Catholics to learn about the Eastern churches so as to work towards unity and also to be enriched by the riches of the Eastern church. And that, of course, is what we do in our program. That's our whole message, our whole purpose here, is to share the riches of the church, East and West, but primarily the Church of the East. But you really can't talk about one without talking about the other. It's very, it's a very complementary subject. So the Eastern churches must be known. And one of the ways that they can be known, of course, is by inviting people to our liturgy. The best way to understand and to really come to know about the Eastern churches is to experience them in their own environment. Because just that statement alone gives you some insight into the Eastern churches. The Eastern churches are very, very integrated. In other words, it's kind of like you know, lights, camera, action. <laughs> we kind of need everything to really pull it off right or in the best way. It's designed to engage us on all levels. It'd be like if you went to a dance or something like that and there was no music. You went out on the dance floor, you had a partner, there were people there, there maybe even was food and drinks, there was everything there except music, and you went out on the dance floor, well, you can go through motions and have everything else happen. You can have some drinks, you can have some food, you can do dance steps, but it really wouldn't be the experience of dancing without the music, right? And if you had everything else. Well, the Eastern churches are somewhat similar. We do best, or we experience us best, by experiencing us in our natural environment because our liturgy is designed, our art, architecture, everything is designed to immerse us in a reality. We emphasize the idea that we participate in something, sort of walk into heaven. You walk into the life of the Trinity, into the life of the church. Participation is very important, very central in Eastern spirituality. And so we engage the five senses, and every one of those senses is connected somehow in the liturgy and worship. But even the art and architecture is very, very purposeful. It always wedded together. The architecture is such so that it's almost as though the architecture is designed and the building is built for the icons, the icons that are eventually painted on them. That's how wedded, how integrated the art and architecture of Byzantine churches is. Now, we can have our liturgy in places that aren't Byzantine churches. Nothing wrong with that, and oftentimes I've done that when I was invited, especially by Latin Rite parishes, so they can learn about the Eastern churches. I've done liturgies and locations that are basically Latin Rite or otherwise, but it works best in its own environment. You really get the experience. It's sort of a total experience, like just like I mentioned, just like dancing or, or being in a theater, you know, like, like a grand opera, especially nowadays where they have special effects, they have sound, they have costumes. Now, what if one of those elements was missing? It just wouldn't quite be the same. So Byzantine liturgy is very similar. I'm not saying it's theatrical. I'm saying it has a very similar principle in that it's designed where you sort of need all of it to really immerse yourself in the reality that it's trying to communicate. 
the reality that it's drawing us to participate in. So it's very, very integrated. But there are other ways to learn about it, and that is to read about it, listen to programs like this, or just stop by, you know, visit a church. Just stop in. If it's, there's no services, if there's an Eastern church, stop in, knock on a door, try to get in. A variety of ways to learn and experience the Eastern churches. And so we must, because one actually complements the other. You know, if I was doing a radio program about humanity, you know, the human race, the human person, and every program I talked about was about men, I never even mentioned women, would I really be honestly giving a program about the human race? No, I'd be giving it a program about an aspect of the human race. I couldn't really say this program is about the human race. No, it's about an aspect of the human race. If I didn't include women, then I really couldn't say I'm talking about the human race. I would have to talk about men and women together. Same thing with the church. When we talk about the church, or especially the Catholic church, it's necessary then, to really be honest, to include the Eastern churches, both East and West. Same thing with us. When we talk about the Catholic Church, we Eastern Catholics, we, of course, automatically mean and include the Latin Rite Church, the Western Lung of the Church. So the reverse has to be the same as well. When we speak of Catholic, we must always be mindful of it being a body that breathes, as John Paul II said, with both lungs, East and West. Now, another way of becoming aware of the Eastern churches, believe it or not, is through news events, which we oftentimes bring you here. And recently, there was a news event. I'm proud to report this one. The Orthodox Catholic Dialogue met and issued a statement on the plight of Christians in the Middle East. Now, oftentimes, when you look at things in the news, you may not realize that a lot of the things you're seeing, especially in the Middle East or Russia and Central Europe, especially, for instance, a lot of the strife that goes on there, the Eastern churches are at the epicenter of these events, these global events. So the North American Orthodox Catholic Theological Consultation held its 81st meeting in October, and this me- at this meeting, the members heard reports about major events in the lives of Catholic and Orthodox churches and issued a brief statement on the plight of churches in the Middle East. The statement says this, We are concerned for our fellow Christians who, in the face of daunting challenges, struggle to maintain a necessary witness to Christ in their homelands. United with them in prayer and solidarity, we ask our fellow Christians living in the West to take time to develop a more realistic appreciation of their predicament. We ask our political leaders to exert more pressure where it can protect these churches, many of which have survived centuries of hardship but now stand on the verge of disappearing completely. And again, what was significant about this is, first of all, they noticed, somebody else besides us here in the East, noticed that the Eastern churches are being persecuted in their homelands. And we're willing to say it on this program and to ask for your help and your prayers. But this joint Orthodox Catholic Dialogue, which is a major one, it's North American Orthodox Catholic Theological Consultation, was able to recognize that too and make a statement and a call to prayer and greater awareness and sympathy. So we appreciate that very much. And yet, that is another way to learn about the Eastern churches, learn about them in the context of their cultures, because there's really no separation, or at least it's very hard to separate the Eastern churches from their global or cultural settings. Well, there's so much more to learn about who we are and the riches of the church East and West, and that is our goal and our aim and our mission here on Light of the East, and I want to thank you for listening to us and learning about the riches of the church East and West. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>